a most original and creative talent in our business. Would you welcome Mr. Orson Welles? Ladies and gentlemen, Orson Welles again, come to call for another visit. Good evening. This is Orson Welles. The two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, hello again, everybody. Uh, this is Buck Benny speaking. I have Kathy Fuller Seeley with me. Um, I will point out, I will point this out again next week, but uh, I, I will point out this week that one of the gifts I asked for for Christmas was uh, Kathy Fuller Seeley's book in a hardback, and I got it, and I'm so excited that, uh, and it is worth, it, it sells for $10 more than the paperback. So it's uh, 39 instead of 29 um, over on Amazon anyway. And I got to say, it's worth that extra $10. The, the hardback is so nice and the pages are so much smoother and everything. I mean, it's just an improvement like in every way. So I, I would highly suggest it. And Ka I was just showing it to Kathy today and she hadn't seen it before. So I was like, <laughs> it was really neat. So. Oh. <laughs> this is what the hardback looks like. So, so anyway, so I I would highly suggest that hardback of uh, Jack Benny's Lost Radio Broadcast, and uh, I I think we're okay saying that it looks like there's going to be more coming. Correct, Kathy? Am I okay saying that? Oh yes, I'm supposed to turn in the manuscript of Volume Two in February. So yes, uh, excellent. Ben, we're we're and oh, and he's he's also put Volume Three into production. So yeah, I was going to say uh, you've got so an okay to do. Yeah, one, two, and three. So that's awesome. And then after those sell, then you'll decide whether volume four is warranted well, or not. The volume four will be Chevrolet. That that about which Jack decided he never wanted to mention that sponsor ever again. Ever again. Wow. The, the, the evil CEO who decided he liked polka music better than uh, Jack Benny's comedy. So. Uh, no accounting for taste. So there you go. Uh, anyway, today we're going to start covering, uh, we're going to go back to covering Orson Welles. This is the Orson Welles podcast. Um, but I'm delighted to have Kathy with me. Hopefully Terry will be back next week. Um, and John uh, might be back. We'll, we'll have to see. John's uh, going to come back certainly when we do Jack Benny. But today I thought the focus would be Orson. So anyway, our next episode of Orson Welles is the episode, it's the last episode of uh, 1945 season. So I think it's the 30th of December that we're covering today. And uh, Kathy, what did, did anything stand out? He, there's magic in this episode that he talks about. Yeah. There's, there uh, certainly is talk it's about the, part of the stuff, me with the, the Abraham Lincoln stuff, but go ahead. What was that, Kathy? I, it, there's an eggnog recipe. So, yes. We're, we're an eggnog recipe worthy of Rochester's eggnog <laughs> recipe. That's a, one, two, two cups of Orson's uh, bourbon and uh, 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 laced uh, eggnog, and you're suddenly finding yourself the quarterback for USC in the Rose Bowl. You know, there you, so, go. <laughs> well, that's, you know. Well, that's the trouble with me. I love eggnog, and I'm used to eggnog that's not spiked. So when I go to someone's house and they have eggnog that's spiked, if it's covered up well, right, then I'll, I'll I won't think about it. And I'll drink as much eggnog yeah. as I usually do, and then I'll be in trouble because <laughs> it's like ah. 
Daryl's gone crazy, <laughs> you know, whatever. It's like, or he's sleeping in the back room, one or the other. Well, but, uh, honestly, this in 15 minutes, this episode um, packed in so much. He chose not to make it, it seemed to me, that he just, he chose not to make it a year in review right. kind of, of thing. So it kind of feels like a stream of consciousness. Yes. Uh, uh, but it, it packs so much punch. Ah, eggnog. Uh, there's my, <laughs> there's my pun. Um, <laughs> covering so many different topics. I love that he starts out talking about his fellow magician, a Fu Manchu, who's an eighth generation uh, from Holland magician who's from Brooklyn but he calls himself Fu Manchu and he's like the greatest uh, magician in Mexico it, uh, and yet um, as much as in previous episodes we've seen him be angry about sort of magicians um, sort of labeling some of them as fakers and certainly he's got a faker to talk about um, today the Mexican woman who can do magic surgery but she's actually cutting into people's but doing yeah um oh appendectomies or what have you yeah which is very scary but um uh, it just it never ceases to amaze me uh, uh all the places orson had been he's just 31 years old yeah uh, uh all the people he knows yeah it's it it's not bragging Although it's, hey, who I've hung out with and, and right. things like that. But he has, he's just a fascinating storyteller. So yes. um, oh, I, sure. I'm glad that his, he, he counts among his friends uh, magicians we can hang out with mm -hmm. and trade secrets after a show. That he, um, uh, as we've spoken about in previous episodes, when he um, chooses to uh, criticize uh, fakers. Yes. Uh, uh, Terry had mentioned this, that you never quite know if he's making sort of veiled allusions to actually politicians or, or, or you know, leaders yeah. of some kind right. who are also. So he, he continues to do that and never quite tell you, right. you know, uh, uh, he leaves it up to the listener's imagination how uh, sort of political or current event like you yeah. you might wish to make those connections. Right. And then, and then sometimes he will come out and be overtly political and slamming on somebody and things, call out individual leaders and things, which is yeah. hugely interesting. As far as your storytelling piece, uh, if you're a huge storyteller part of Orson, and that's your big thing, uh, the next word, she and I are going to cover another podcast today, and that one is probably one of the better just – there's just one story basically the whole time with a little bit tagged a few, a few little other things tagged on, but the story is the main thing. So that's a good one to listen to as well. Uh, this one, the last piece he covers is he talks about George Washington and the fact that George Washington started a kind of a tradition to greet people on the new year. And that most of the presidents since Washington had followed that. And, uh, and then he, he uh, specifically talks about one president, uh, and that president is President Lincoln. And that Lincoln, uh, he, he discussed how a year, um, the, he talks about two different years. And he talks about the first year being one where Lincoln was signing uh, the Emancipation Proclamation and freeing all the slaves. And that uh, he'd been greeting people 
all day and that sort of thing and that his hands were shaking and he was concerned that people would say when he signed it that he was um, kind of reticent about signing it, that sort of thing. And so he specifically mentioned that this was like his proudest moment, something like that um, beforehand. And I thought that was good. And then he said a year later, uh, he was greeting people again on, uh, on uh, New Year's and that uh, that year uh, a bunch of, uh, of black folks approached the president and he shook their hands and he was, he was, he was tired after all this uh, shaking of hands and things, but really became a lot more animated and things when he was shaking the hands of, of all these uh, black people that were so thankful for freeing them. And, and uh, what a, what a amazingly poignant moment. And it talked about them like him greeting them at the door sort of thing. And, and the, it, it, it talk, he talks about the door and when, when, he started talking about the door it, and, and the time of year it is. And just the fact that we're doing this, this is the week we're doing it. So just as, as what a future background for this episode, uh, this was the week where um, Donald Trump had his folks that met him. Uh, he had a rally uh, because this was when they were counting all the, um, the votes from the different states to to certify that that uh, Biden uh, had won the election, and so he had a, his people show up at the White House to to uh, talk to them, and then sent them over towards the Capitol. And then at the Capitol, they um, broke into the Capitol, and the whole door thing made me think of what a difference of someone breaking into the Capitol, and that that hadn't been done since before Lincoln had done the whole time Lincoln did this, he the capital wasn't broken into. And uh, I guess it was in the war of 1812 was the last time the capital had been broken into. Um, and so it just kind of was an instrument, interesting juxtaposition to have these two things. We uh, listen to this show and talking about Lincoln and then the whole Trump situation that happened. Um, Daryl, you're absolutely right. In in retrospect, this episode seems like such a, a lovely gift. Yes. To, um, you know, because in the way that he started, uh, Orison started about, um, you know, that he connects to a working for peace. Yes. You know, that's and 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 so he he um he had talked earlier in the in the middle of this short but packed episode, he he speaks about being at Chichen Itza. Right. And, and that the civilization had been gone for a thousand years and it was eerily quiet. Right. And, you know, and then it made you sad. He says in this year of the atom. So you get this horrible, I mean, for this listener, it connected right. to this horrible image of the atom destroying everything, right. and everything being gone. But then he moves it to peace. And then in talking about this, um, you, as you so beautifully said, talking about this Abraham Lincoln piece, peace moves to joy. Yes. And I want to remember to listen to this episode again in the future mm -hmm. to remind myself there can be strife, there can be awfulness, yes. but hopefully afterwards there can be peace. Yes. So, and, you know, and, and joy. Right. Uh, uh, we, we need that to remind ourselves in bad. Exactly. Times. Exactly. And just for folks out there, just that, uh, we try not to get political on these podcasts and things. And 
I will say that that you know there have been wonderful times and and productive times when we've had um, Republican presidents and Republican houses and Republican senates, and we've had wonderful prosperous times when we've had Democrat House, Democrat Senate. Um, I think making any side out, we Kathy and I were talking before this painting with a broad brush to to say all one side is evil or not or whatever. I don't know. I just have a problem with that. I think there's great people doing great things um, that, that are trying to make our country a better place. And hopefully I, I just, every time we get an administration, no matter who's in charge, I feel like I want to say, I hope that they are successful. I hope that things go well. I hope that our country prospers. I, and that's just where I'm at. But anyway, um, we shall see going forward. Year's wish. So. Yes, yes. So let's have a wonderful new year, and, and hopefully, we deal with the whole COVID thing that's that's still going on and around us. I'm so glad we have that vaccine out there. Um, it seems like it's starting to get out better and more. They were having some issues at the beginning getting it out quickly, but uh, it it seems like every week it ramps up further and further where they get it to more and more people, and uh, that's great. Um, so anyway, I hope everybody has a, a great or having a great New Year as we go on um, in the future when you listen to this. I mean, really interesting episode that covers a lot of ground. So much of these Orsons, as Kathy's saying, are just it's it's interesting to hear of they're coming out of a dark place that when things didn't go that great. I mean, World War Two and all of that. And there's. They're just trying to plan out what their future is going to be for the country. And I feel kind of like that's sort of what's happening with our country as well. Just trying to figure out where, how we're going to head forward and uh, make it where um, hopefully everybody has a great future ahead of them in our country and around the world too. I mean, I hope this whole COVID thing, we deal with it and these mutated strands and things don't uh, become a big thing. And hopefully we, the the vaccine will cover all of that i pray and uh anyway i hope everybody has a great new year as i say so i think we'll stop uh there if that's okay kathy unless is there anything else in this episode that you wanted to mention or anything are we pretty good no no nothing that can't bleed over until next next week's episode. okay all right and so kathy and i will join you next week for another episode of orson wells or it might even play it the same week this week i'm not sure we'll see how that goes so uh anyway. thank you Enjoy the show and enjoy Orson. Wonderful as always. Siemens Private Blend. Orson Welles speaking. I wasn't sure yesterday whether this broadcast would be coming to you from Havana, Cuba, or New York, New York, but the weatherman who works for the airlines decided I wasn't to get further north today than Miami, Florida, and frankly, your roving reporter doesn't mind admitting that his teeth aren't exactly on edge at the prospect of a few free hours in the sunshine. Stout Californian, though he may be. Change that to read plump Californian, I'm on a diet. So here we are, and what do you know before me as I speak of the historic beaches? Historic for me, anyway, because it was on and about these same sugar-colored sands that Haywood Brune and I used to settle the problems of the world before going to Hialeah. This in a day when the world's problems were even easier to settle by conversation than they are now. And here lived another chum of mine, earning his living as a lifeguard. Joe Cotton is the name. And here, too, my wife took me one winter. 
when I was very ill. Yes, here before me, as I said, are the historic beaches for me, and behind me, as I haven't said, is a fairly historic week, including a night with a spiritualist medium in Mexico and a night on the Great Pyramid of Chichen Itza. We'll get to that in just a minute. Today we have big news for you. It's news about another brand new exclusive development of Lear Incorporated, which you will find on Lear radios. We've told you about Lear wire recording, the wire that remembers. Now Lear has gone further and is ready to announce this new Lear achievement, a way of recording far more faithful and far easier to use even than wire recording. It's a wonderfully accurate and clear recording of sound on tape. With the flick of a switch, you take down your favorite radio programs, the voices of your children, the tunes and words you want to keep and hear again and again. Then immediately you can play it back, for with this new way, there's nothing that has to be rewound. Lear is first to perfect this latest advance in recording, and it will be one of the exclusive features of Lear home radios. This newest feature of Lear radios has been under development in the laboratories for months. Now the story can be told, and soon you'll be able to get it to use in your own living room. All this is just an example of how you always get the latest and most advanced features in Lear products. It's a reminder that if you want to learn of the latest, listen to Lear. For Lear has been first with the newest and best developments in every field of manufacture that Lear has entered. Remember, watch for the radio with the name Lear, L-E-A-R. Now back to Orson Welles. About last week, we'll begin with last night. I spent it in a nightclub. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're wrong. My debauchery consisted of about half a gallon of coffee and several hours jam session of magic. My magician companion is uh, one of the most entertaining of entertainers, even for that unspeakable minority that doesn't like magic. His name is Russell Swan. You see, wherever I go, I look up the local or visiting wizard and a hanky-panky man having told me in Cuba that Russell was playing Miami's new swank Copacabana. I made haste from the airport to the ringside just in time for the second show, after which the two of us swapped moves and slights and gags and gimmicks far into the Roomba-filled morning. See, magicians are an international fraternity, and I had a message and a couple of moves for us from our mutual friend in Mexico, Fu Manchu. Yes, Fu Manchu, you heard me right, but you're not to assume that Sax Roma's sinister celestial is currently weaving his evil webs and dropping scorpions down chimneys and otherwise harassing our good neighbor south of the border. They've had enough to put up with as it is. No, Fu Manchu is the trade name of Latin America's foremost magic man who runs the best box show, which means a full evening spectacle since Thurston or even Keller. Fu isn't the Chinese. He pretends to be, but he works in a scrumptious Mandarin wardrobe and speaks Spanish with a Chinese accent. His father started out as an ersatz Japanese and kept the name Okito, which you'll remember, I think, from vaudeville, and his father and his father before him, and so back for eight generations or more, were all official court magicians to the kings of Holland. Fu Manchu himself, Dave Bamberg, to his friends and on his passport, speaks on stage only Castilian with a Cantonese burr, but is to be heard when a trick isn't going just right issuing sotto voce commands to his large corps of assistants in the hardy twang of his native Brooklyn. A queer enough cocktail, I think, to give you some notion of why I'm to be found so often and for so long around magic and the sundry, fabulous gentlemen who serve the art. Well, here's the story I told Russ Swan last night. In Mexico, last week, Fu and I went calling on the latest rage among spiritualist mediums. 
A lady who for adequate palm crossing with Silva will cure you of anything that ails you. She doesn't just lay on hands either. Oh, no, this character performs actual surgery, blood and everything, having exchanged the trumpet and the phosphorus tambourine for scalpel and suture. She's a dear old thing. Looks like somebody's mother, which she is. A doctor's mother, our investigations proved. A very shady doctor, to be sure, but then she's a very shady mother. She does a roaring trade, the madam. Her parlor swarms not only with the poorest Mexicans, their savings in hand, but also with a more enlightened sort. A secretary in the British Embassy, for instance, who I talked to, swears to an appendectomy performed with no palpable utensils or anesthetic by some invisible specialist among the spooks. Unluckily, Fu and I were recognized, so we were given nothing more startling for our dough than the ghostly materialization of perfume. An elderly dowager of some social distinction who was there announced that the aroma was like nothing of this earth, but we were pretty sure its basis was the notorious and very cheap patchouli, and chemical analysis later proved we were perfectly right. I relieved the madam of one of her little secret glass vials. She keeps them in her left-hand sweater pocket, in case you're interested, while she was busy thoughtfully massaging Mexico's leading magician. Well, Fu is taking his big show to Australia, so he won't be able to come with me. But if I can get back to Mexico again this winter sometime and manage a good enough disguise, I hope to have a first-hand report for you and maybe some photographs for the Mexican police on one of this medium's juicier efforts, an appendix at the very least. That, as Fu Manchu says in his flowery oriental way, I gotta see. So much for magic. Not that the mighty ruins of Chichen and Ushmal aren't in the true sense of the word, magical. Centuries ago, the conquering Spaniards looked with our wondering eyes upon the empty and enigmatic monuments of Yucatan. And in all the splendor and wisdom of the Aztecs, there was no hint to be found of this ancient and high civilization, gone a thousand years by then, lost in the shadows of the Indian jungle where it is too dim and dark to read the words of history. I spent a night last week in the awesome wreckage of what was once an observatory, a place of the Mayans for calculation for the careful study of the universe. I watched the moon go down and the sun come up over the silent skeleton of a city. Where I watched once, men of science had watched the heavens and inquired of them, and now they are gone. Who can say where or why? and their science gone with them without a trace. Surely these Maya people had some festival like Christmas. But now there are no Christmases in Chichen Itza. I know. I spent Christmas there, Christmas Eve and the date of the day. A lonely Christmas for me, and lonely, I think, too, for all the peoples of a world still divided by nations in the first year of the age of the atom. Well, comes now time for good resolutions, the season for hopes. Of course, our first hope is for peace, true peace. But you don't get peace in return for winning a war in the way that they give you a silver cup for winning a game. You've got to work for peace. And up to now, none of us have worked hard enough to pull it off. Peace is like heaven. No living man has ever seen it, except in his own backyard. Like heaven, it is a matter of faith. And the hope of peace is like the hope of heaven. Most decent people couldn't live without it. About New Year's, if you insist on celebrating it, I think the best way to do it is 
traditionally with an eggnog, and the easiest way to get an eggnog is to know somebody who makes a good eggnog and go visit him. If you haven't got that kind of friend, you're going to need, according to my recipe, 12 eggs, two and a half cups of sugar, one pint of good brandy, a quart of Jamaica rum, and three quarts of heavy cream. If you've got all those groceries, you don't need any friends. And if you own all that liquor, you won't be able to keep them away. They used to serve eggnogs, as a matter of fact, in the White House. Not anymore, I understand, but the reception is pretty much of a tradition. From the first New Year's of his administration, George Washington held a reception there, and he kept up the custom, and so have most of the other presidents. I'd like to tell you a story now, I've just time for it, about one presidential reception on New Year's Day. The president was shaking hands with the people of the United States. He remembered how tired he was the last New Year's. Three hours the great levy had taken, and when he'd finished shaking all those hands, he found he was trembling with exhaustion. He remembered later in the day, when he'd taken up his pen, he noticed the trembling, and he remembered fearing it might waver when he signed his name, that men might say of him, looking at that signature. He hesitated. That's why he told the people standing about him, I never in my life felt more right than I do in signing this paper. Now a year had gone by, and it was as if the words were printed in the air between the men and women, shaking the president's hand. All persons held as slaves within any state shall be thenceforward and forever free. Twelve months of war had marched over his heart since he put his name to that, and now New Year's again. Then suddenly, some new people had come in. Outside, they had been watching the fine ladies and gentlemen sweeping into the White House. Very slowly and cautiously, they moved nearer to the door, closer, and then closer still. Why shouldn't they go in to see the president and pay their respects? For a long time, they hadn't dared. But now, as if by signal, the Negro people jammed through the door and into the reception rooms. Here's what a newspaper had to say about it in 1864, the New York Independent. For long hours, the president had been shaking hands and had become excessively weary. But here his nerves rallied at the insolent sight, and he welcomed this motley crew with a heartiness that made them wild with exciting joy. The Negroes laughed and wept and wept and laughed, exclaiming through their blinded tears, God bless you. God bless Abraham Lincoln. Those who witnessed this scene will not soon forget it. For a long distance down the avenue on my way home, I heard fast young men crossing the president for this act. But all the way, the refrain rang in my ears. God bless Abraham Lincoln. Now your attention, please, for an interesting announcement. Perhaps you missed the announcement made earlier on this program. It is big news, so I'm going to repeat it. It's the first announcement of an entirely new kind of recording, more advanced, more faithful, and more convenient to use even than wire recording. It's Lear sensationally new sound on tape. This development of Lear Laboratories provides a simple means to capture for good the radio programs you want and the good times you have around the house. As soon as you've recorded, you can play it all back immediately. Nothing has to be rewound. The recording lasts for a lifetime. Yet if there's anything you don't want to keep, you wipe it off simply by recording something else on the same tape. Many models of Lear Home radios will have this new recording. It will be in the fine console combination radio television beauty that tops the line and sells for about $500. It will be in sets costing far less. 
So again, you have proof that whatever is good and new, whatever will add to your enjoyment of your radio, will be found in Lear radios. And whether you choose the top model or the capable 1995 table model, you can be confident that you're going to have the best that can be had when you buy a radio with the nameplate Lear, L-E-A-R. Now back to Orson Welles, whose views and opinions are his own and do not necessarily represent those of Lear Incorporated. A great soldier died last week, and I'd like to tell you a story I heard about him just this morning. It happened very recently during General Patton's last visit home. There was a press conference, and somebody asked Old Blood and Guts what he thought about another general who had been killed in the war. Patton thought a lot of him, an awful lot of him, and said so. Then he was asked if he'd lend his support to a fundraising drive for a hospital to be named after this general, and Patton said the blankety-blank-blank he would, or words to that general Patton effect. But why? Patton's reply was, of course, off the record, but I don't think I'm violating any confidence in quoting him now. Infantrymen, said Patton, infantrymen are killed on purpose. That's war. Generals only die by accident. George Patton, who was a very brave man, might have liked that for his epitaph. Well, my time's up now. Please let me come to call again, and thanks for listening this time. Meanwhile, Happy New Year. A real New Year, and... A really happy one for you and yours and mine. Meanwhile, too, speaking for my sponsors and myself, we remain as always in 1946 as in 1945, obediently yours. This program originated in the studios of WGBS Miami. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.